Hey, it's Brent Leary. It's Tuesday. It's cold out here in Atlanta, but it's still the BBC, not the British guys, the Brent Broadcasting Channel. Thanks for joining me today. And we have a really cool conversation ahead of us because I'm going to be talking to Jay Upchurch. Jay is the CIO and EVP over at SAS. Jay, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thank you for having me. This is this is fun. And it is it is cold outside, so it's warm to it's nice to be inside and warm and ready to go. Absolutely. So I want to talk about a lot of things with you. We're going to be touching on a number of different subjects, but one of the things that uh, you know, we're at the year mark here with the pandemic, we really have come a long ways. And you know, what's, what's, I want to make sure I got this right. And okay, here we go. Just want to make sure everybody is able to check us out. And I'm not sure. I want to check something out real quick sure. before we get too deep into this conversation. Um, because I am. Okay, we got it. It looks like, okay. Looks like we're good. I was getting a bit of a technology issue, I think, but I think we're good to go. So once again, we're here with Jay Upchurch. He is the CIO over at SAS. We are just talking about, we're getting into this year of being under the pandemic. And so what are your impressions? How has that year gone from a, particularly from a data perspective? How are things uh, did they kind of go the way that you were expecting it to, or things went a little different than this past year has showed us? But give me your overall perspective of what's going on there. Yeah, sure. So I think one thing that's interesting, my job is kind of, um, it's a CIO plus job. So I have traditional internal IT responsibility for, um, you know, for all of our systems globally for SaaS. And then I also run our SaaS cloud uh, business where we're providing our software solutions out to the marketplace for our customers and a, and a managed service model. And so with that in mind, you know, I kind of have a little bit of a, maybe two, two answers to that question, Brent. I think the first one is when the pandemic first hit, SAS was kind of in a unique position because we, we operate in 180-ish countries around the world. Um, we got to see it evolve and kind of spread around. So we got we were able to get a little bit ahead of it in terms of our own internal preparation, getting everybody home and safe and connected. That was a, a big part of what our focus was. And that was, you know, you're talking about coming up on a year now. So we actually shut down our corporate campus where we've got about five to 6,000 employees here in Cary, North Carolina, and uh, the second week of March of last year. So I think, you know, to your question of how did it go from an internal standpoint, we were lucky. We had started a lot of our digital transformation years ago and a lot of the getting our systems up and out of campus and up and into the cloud, making those accessible to all and secure. That really paid off when, you know, when the pandemic hit. Um, I think the, the next phase that kind of went into it, like all CIOs around the world, was this moment of panic. You know, as as after you got everybody home and everybody was connected, then all of a sudden businesses started started to try to figure out what's going to happen. Is my revenue drying up? Is everybody going to stop spending? What does that mean to your budgets? All, all of a sudden, you know, you went into uh, probably April, May, and you were having to reforecast your expense plan because everybody was concerned about revenue. And then, ironically, you know, probably in the May June time frame. All of a sudden, businesses woke up and said, wait a minute, actually, if you have gone into the cloud and you've already transformed 
regardless of the size of the business you are, it's a competitive advantage for you. So not not only now are we saying, no, you, you can't have your budget back, but we're going to give you more because we want you to go faster. And so it ended up being like, what, what could you do if we gave you a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more? How fast could you deliver it? And so I'd say the last year's kind of been an emotional roller coaster in a lot of ways, both for all of us, you know, professionally and personally. On the data side, it, it was really fascinating. Um, and it almost it almost validated what SAS's mission has been for 44 years now. Um, and that is that if you think about like your own personal life for a minute, the pandemic has forced you to stop and think and, um, you know, worry about your day to day activities, those innate things, those things that are unconscious to you just do naturally. And you have to almost pause and think about it and, and, and interpret the data around you and the things that you're hearing and then refactor uh, your your daily activities. So, for instance, uh, you know, meeting somebody, shaking hands. Where do you shop? When do you shop? Uh, what kind of masks are you wearing? I mean, all those kind of things you have to now stop long enough to interpret the data around you and try to make the best informed decision with the data that you can. Um, and we do that you know, again for our, in our own personal lives. What's the same mission that we, we are all on in business as well? We're trying to take the data and the world around us. Um, analyze it in the best way we can, and then use it to make the most intelligent business decisions we can. That, that to me, is is really kind of at the heart of what SaaS has tried to do for, you know, like I said, 44 years. But it's actually more prevalent than ever in the last 12 months with the with the pandemic. I'm going to pop up this uh, quote because I had a chance to speak with a SaaS customer before the pandemic. This was like last year, Clark, uh, Clark Twitty over at Twitty and what, you know, they, they do the whole rental real estate uh, game. Well, actually kind of like an Airbnb play uh, based out of North Carolina, but they're a small company in terms of, you know, the numbers, they have about 125 employees or thereabouts. So they're not a huge company, but I love what he said here about what really kind of saved them during the pandemic is there, they had this a mindset that they were always going to be focused on data and leveraging data to, to find information and insights that they could use to create the kind of products and services and, and interaction opportunities uh, with their, their customers. And so I love when he said, if you boil our business down to two words, the first word is trust and the second word is listening. That's our core competency. So when the pandemic hit, we trusted the information and then they trusted their ability to, to interact and, and relate that information into uh, with their, their stakeholders. How important is that? Uh, aspect of what's been going on, being able to not only have the data or aggregate the data, but look at the data and then find the insight and then leverage that insight in a meaningful interaction, a better service, a better uh, way to stay connected with customers who are really scared at the time. I, I, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I, the, that quote's fantastic. I mean, I think first of all, you, you start with trust. Right. You earn that trust over time. It's not just given to you and you earn that through your interpretation of the data. So to your point of um, do you have access to the data? Can you interpret the data? Can you analyze the data and can you make meaningful action on that analysis? Right. And then those actions yield the result. And then as that continuous cycle you know, gets go up and going, the flywheel starts, trust starts to come with it. And so, again, in uncertain times, and these are certainly uncertain times, nothing is more important than, you know, how you interpret that data and take action against that. 
we, you know, for so many years, businesses and, and frankly, some of the best leaders in the world, it didn't matter if it's business or not, right? They're always viewed upon as being heroic because of what they, what people saw was like, well, that's intuition. They were, they had a gut feel or they were smarter or something, something made them better. And today, you know, in, in today's playing field, right? Data normalizes that for all of us. And then, so it's a question of, do you have the talent around you, as you were saying a minute ago, Brent, to access the data, normalize it, transform it, make it what you need it to be, and then analyze it and make decisions out of that. That's the hard part of this industry today. And I, I would tell you, we talk about a lot, it's a talent famine. So one of the things that we try to deal with is, is how do we make everybody a data scientist? Because there's only really a few that come out every year that are truly data scientists. So how do we um, make, da make data available to all and make it and, and provide tooling to anybody that can come along and do work on it? That, that part of it's fascinating to us. Another part of it that we think a lot about is just the, the maturity curve that everybody has to go through when thinking about analytics and AI. So as an example, you know, getting access to the data, analyzing it, and then just showing it on a dashboard or a report card, you know, that's, that's kind of step one fundamentals and people learn and start to see more and more streams of data that come in, the more and more insights I can get out of it. And then it's the next, the next mile is, okay, I have these insights. Now what do I go do? Right. How do I take action with that and how do I automate that and how do I put models in place and maintain those models? Because the data all around us continues to change. Right. Same thing with this pandemic. Right. Well, we thought we had the right data in March, April of last year. Think about how that's changed over the last you know, 9, 10, 12 months and where we are now. It's the same thing. The model that you might have had specific to COVID-19 back in March last year, probably dramatically different than what you have today. It rolls right into this question that my buddy Alan Berkson has. How has the data changed that you look at uh, before pandemic and, and, and during and what, what we might see after the pandemic? Because I'm thinking there's a lot more of it because a lot of the things that we used to do kind of be able to go to the grocery store and just go in and, and buy a, a loaf of bread and then pay with, with it with cash and then walk out. Most people wouldn't didn't you know there was no data on that kind of interaction or exchange. Now, because you you kind of have to buy your groceries online, that means you know the store knows it, and if it's being delivered, the delivery people know it. So there's a lot more data. There's a lot more things that you could look at. And so, how has that changed over the last year or so? Yeah, I, I, you're exactly right. I mean, data now is exploding. There's more of it coming from a lot of different areas. And it's not just big data sets that are shared or that people contribute to. It's coming out of going back to the grocery example for a second, Brent. I mean, that's a great case where IoT is coming heavily into play and we're getting data out of sensors that you know people are interacting with without even understanding or realizing it. And so just thinking about all the different data sets that we have and marrying that data up, cross cutting it with data from a variety of sources. You mentioned it's cold outside. So if I'm a restaurant, how do I take advantage of the data that I know around forecast for weather with the data I have in supply, with the data that I have with people coming in, maybe updating it real time with, is everybody ordering you know, something hot versus cold? How do I bundle for optimize my, my, um, my profit? I mean, there's a whole lot of different data sets that are coming now and people are coming to companies like SaaS with the question of, well, how, how can you help me make you know, sense of all this? And it's, it's not only, again, thinking about the data and the sources, how to consume it, especially in a cloud world now, because data comes structured, unstructured, in a stream, after the fact. I mean, it comes in a lot of different ways. 
But how do you take you know action on that analysis? And do you have the talent around you to take advantage of it? I think back to our conversations around small business. That's a big challenge for for the small business market and and, and really the mid market too. I'll say the enterprise guys are are, are are having challenges with it as well. So where do you get that consult from? Where do you get those advisory services from? And then what kind of tools do you bring to bear to help put it into action for your business? Let's let's talk about this in terms of small and mid-sized businesses. Um, a lot of them before the pandemic, there was still a pretty significant amount of small businesses that were not using or utilizing the cloud as effectively as they possibly could have. There, there, some of them don't, you know, I think there's still a stat where maybe 50% or so uh, of SMBs still didn't have a website. There weren't a lot of them percentage-wise doing e-commerce. Uh, so how does the pandemic change the the uh, usage of the cloud? How does it change the uses of things like websites and, and IoT? How important does it uh, is it for small mid-sized businesses to begin to utilize these things? You know, maybe they were able to get do things to a certain extent before the pandemic, but can they survive if they don't make this these moves? Start utilizing these tools more efficiently and effectively. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I don't. I find it hard to believe that you're going to be able to survive without it. I think we are all faced with the question of what does the future of work look like? And there are plenty of opinions about when people may come back to the office place, when they may not, when people return to some normal level of life. And I, and I think that there's still going to be a, a, um, a long tail of, of things that we have learned, things that we've started to accept as normal that will remain or will become the new normal, if you will, as we move forward. And I think in in the case when you look at like the new norm, I think it forces all businesses to become digitally enabled, right? I don't. I think some people talk about digital transformation, and everybody wants to have that um, that that um, Uber transportation moment where oh, we've got this idea, and we're going to totally transform an entire industry. And that's not necessarily you know the case where you'll you'll see one of those out of a million, right? I mean, it's just not not everybody's going to have that moment. And so how do you how do you drive transformation in your business? I tell I tell people all the time it's based on your maturity model, your digital maturity model. And you've got to take small steps in going through and figuring out, do I have a process? Is it is it well understood or is it still in the heads of, of, of a few? Is it is it um, put into a system? Can you actually automate it and understand it and use it? And then can you optimize it? And then later on, have you earned the right to eventually transform it? And so there are those there's natural steps. So I think you come back to the small business owner who you know, may have had a local presence. They had a great um, local viral uh, experience. Right. And that helped grow their business to a certain scale. All of a sudden, you know, 180 degree change. People stop coming in. Everybody's doing it remote. It forces you to adopt digital technologies. So I actually think that the pandemic kind of helped take the governor off the car a little bit when it comes to how fast you can go to adopt some of these new cloud native technologies. And I'll tell you, it's SaaS and this is not an infomercial for SaaS, but we, we've been faced with this for quite some time. I mean, trying to figure out how we transform our own products to being more digitally native, more cloud native and how to drive adoption. You went back, you, you mentioned data a minute ago. The world around us right now is changing at such a rapid pace that our platforms, the tools that we give our customers and the market to be able to use has to embrace open source, the open source community, the new technologies that are coming, we have to remain open because 
it would be terrible for us to say, well, here's your tool, but you know, ignore this data set or that data set. We don't want to give you access to it or our tool doesn't allow it. Our tool is and, and platforms and our industry solutions are only as good as the data that feeds it and your own mind's creativity and how to interpret those results. I want to go to a question from an uh, uh, industry thought leader and, and a buddy of mine, Ginger Conlon, who asks, are marketers trying to think more like analysts and vice versa these days? That's an interesting question. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> so we, we had this great debate. And, and Brad, I'd love your opinion on this, too. Um, we talk about CRM, um, analytic applications, and then we talk about marketing automation. And those, in our view, oftentimes are two different things, but sometimes they seem to, you know, commingle a lot. And I, I'd love your opinion as well. Do you see those two things as different? And then if so, you know, do you have a, a position on, you know, one being more kind of standard as far as like embedded in kind of the day-to-day -day DNA of a marketer versus, hey, this is maybe where the future where we're going? I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, I know. You just turned the tables on, on my own show here. Okay. And, and usually my, my default position is the only thing I take a hard stand on is the Rams winning a Super Bowl before my life is over. But uh, no, I think everything is kind of coming together. These roles are coming together because you have to, with all the data that's available uh, to companies and employees of companies, that can impact the experience that they that customers have with them and the interactions that customers have with them and the in the, the service experiences everybody has to know what's there and available in order for you to have a meaningful interaction with the customer and that anybody else who interacts with that customer knows the full scoop so i think yeah we we have roles but in certain instances these roles are being better integrated than they ever have been because there's more data available, available. like you talked about the IoT, so there's sensor data. There's actually some of the uh, interactions that we had, like the face-to-face, -face, you know, uh, offline interactions. Now, because of what's happened with the pandemic, a number of those interactions have been replaced digitally. So that, that provides more insight and information, or potential insight, but definitely more information uh, that can go into, you know, creating better opportunities, better experiences, better uh, more aligned business models so i think everybody has to start you you might have your main role but you have to start thinking about your these kind of ancillary roles that interact with you in order to have the best kind of interaction opportunity with with uh, customers and prospects so that's a long answer uh but i i think it gets more complex as we get more data and more perspective coming in for what a customer wants now and what they're probably going to want by the end of the day because more likely it's going to change based on what's going on. I think, I think you're spot on. I do. I mean, I, and you know, I think CRM, um, you know, analytic applications take, take the fact that you already have a customer, right. And now you're trying to offer the, or position the right offer to them. And so I think you already have a defined set of data that's probably shaped in a way that's meaningful, that's easy to interpret and easy to target. And then I think to your point, we have new data sets that are coming at us from a variety of different places. And how do you marry that up with either the customer that you know, or the, maybe the customers that are out there that you want to get to know? And how do you marry those things together to put in place, you know, uh, uh, the right campaign to take what you know to be your offer or the solution, or maybe what you have in inventory, whatever the challenge of the day is for your business, 
and go find that customer and create that compelling event for the customer to want to engage. And so I, I do think to the question earlier of are we are we thinking, are we asking marketers to think more like analysts? I think, yeah, there's a there's a there's a beauty in that. Is it art? Is it science? Is it somewhere in between? I think it's probably somewhere in between because you still have, you know, the the day to day burden and the, the traditional marketing KPIs that everybody's going to be held accountable towards. But you be creative now with those analytics and the tools that you can apply to go get them. The other thing, too, that strikes me is that um, the marketing landscape is just it's changed. I mean, there are so many different tools that are out there today. There are small niche tools that are easy to kind of come in and adopt, plug in, plug out after you try them. There are big systems that obviously that are continuing to be highly disruptive and give us new power and everything else. Somebody's got to help make sense of all of that and then run your campaigns across that in a way that is meaningful, right, in terms of how you measure your engagement. And sometimes that's 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 a, a challenge in and of itself, just making sense of the ecosystem that you've, interesting enough, volunteered to take on. First of all, I just want to do a special shout out to uh, Nelly because Nelly, if you're telling me the Rams have a shot, you've got my heart. So I just hope you're right. I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, what about speed? So we, we're getting all this data at, first of all, we're getting all this new data like you talked about. It's coming from a, a variety of places. Like who was talking about the, like things like Clubhouse last year? Probably nobody. But now that's a, cha a channel and there's probably going to be you know some data, interesting data coming out of that. More and more of us are, are involved with live streaming and, and virtual events. So there's there's all this stuff coming at, at co consumers and, 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 you know, companies alike. And it's coming from a variety of areas and it's coming at this unrelenting speed. And yet and still it feels like if you don't do something with that information quickly, you you lose an opportunity to create a meaningful interaction. So where does speed and, and, you know, the speed of data, but also the, the speed to be able to react to the data and turn it into something meaningful. Talk about speed in all this equation. Yeah. I, the, the scary thing is that the data is coming at you at a rate of pace that you, you know, literally cannot consume. Um, we talk about our event stream processing technology, which is again, a, a, a Type of technology that allows you to consume real-time data off of sensors at you know incredible speeds. Um, so my point there is that that you're it's going to be difficult just to even keep up with, and that's where the models that you create has to has to have technology that can ingest that data, interpret that data, and give you back a result that's meaningful. There's no way that anybody in today's day and age can interpret all that data, uh, correlate it, and come back with an insight and a in a manual manner. So the platforms, the tools, the solutions that are available, SaaS, non-SaaS, everything that's out there, you know, empowers the, the business. And doesn't matter if you're small, medium or large. Um, I think the, the other thing about speed is we have a natural hesitation uh, as, as humans not to be as curious as we should be. I talked about this in an article that I published about a month or so ago. And it just talked about the power of curiosity. And it's actually one of our core values at SAS that we really stress. You have to be curious about the data. The data will, will paint the picture for you if you allow it. But you got to empower your team, the people around you, yourself to be curious. And it's funny because as children, we're naturally curious, right? And I've got three sons. There have been plenty of times where I've had to beg them to stop asking questions. <laughs> you know, shame on me for that because I don't want to suppress that natural curiosity because later on in life, and it's actually what helps you be successful. 
And it's what helps you be successful with data and analytics is your own personal curiosity. So I think from a speed standpoint, don't be afraid to jump in and have those science experiments, play with it and see, understand the impact of moving data in and out and what that does to your models. I think there's another aspect of speed and that is model management. Your models atrophy because the data around you changes again at a rate of speed that we, we, we cannot really comprehend today. And so you have to be mindful that what worked for you yesterday may not necessarily work for you today. And so there are plenty of applications, again, SAS being one of them, where we where we stress that model management, that model, uh, that, that analytic life cycle, if you will. So you've got to make sure that just because you stood something up and you're working with it, that you're continuing to care and feed and expand on it. Right. And then I think the last one that I would say on speed is you've got to make sure that, again, doesn't matter what small size business you are. You've got to make sure that your science experiment is something that will scale up with you as you grow. And that's an interesting place, again, where you kind of come back to trust of what are you leveraging tools? Are you leveraging data sets and are you leveraging um, aspects of your business that you trust that will allow you to scale and grow up? Because this thing can, you know, can take on a life of its own if you allow it. So, again, that's a, that's a place where you know, we as SAS feel like we've done a pretty good job over the last four years. Yeah, I'll tell you, something else that's taken on the life of the zone is the uh, comments section talking about the Rams. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and I also uh, got to give a shout out to uh, uh, somebody else said something about the Rams have a really good shot. Uh, there's comments coming in. And I can't see them all. <laughs> oh, uh, Patty. Patty, thank you. You guys are giving me hope for, for next year. So that's great. But I want to talk about uh, you know, this this uh, comment and question from uh, Michael uh, Hoffman, because I definitely wanted to transition to not just, you know, we get data, but AI and machine learning. And and where does how important is it today compared to before? Yeah. I think I already know the answer to this question, but I, I, I want you to answer it. How important is it now to really take full advantage of AI and really understand how it could impact customer relationships, but also business models, because we're seeing uh, companies that were before the pandemic, they were in one industry. Um, the pandemic shut them down. But just like Clark was saying, they, they had a good handle on uh, you know data and being able to aggregate data and find out things and opportunities and new business models and new offerings that allowed them to transition to something while their main core business was down for the count. So talk a little bit about, you know, the role AI plays today and what role and how and how can particularly SMBs, how can they leverage it today? OK, um, a couple of things, I think, first of all, on the, the point of power, right, around analytics and AI. Um, it's a very powerful tool uh, and allows you to pivot at a, at a speed that most businesses have never been able to do in their past. So as an example, recognizing, you know, when the market around you moves and having the data and the insight to know confidently how to pivot your business into a new area for, again, for the, your, your business survival. That, that is um, really, you know, one of the things that I think most companies underappreciate around analytics. A lot of people think about analytics um, and trying to put analytics into action more as a means to an end for cost containment or profit maximizing or, or whatnot, but it actually allows you so much more than that. Um, you know, if I think about like the digital twin capability and the way to test new ideas and explore them in a way that is 
um, a lot less risky than maybe in the past, right? That's that's one of the things I think is is really impactful. There's um, we've got a friend of mine who who talks to me a lot about the uh, the, the 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 taxi business, and uh, he mentions you know how bad the taxi you know uh, industry has been disrupted throughout the pandemic. And there's an example of a, of, a, of a firm that has pivoted more into food delivery and, and using the fleet and the systems for routing and for scheduling, you know, through um, for, for food service instead of through, you know, for, for traditional human you know, passenger service. Right. And it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, you know what, that's a logical, natural extension of the use of technology. But Again, the use of data, the use of analytics allows you to pivot into that industry seamlessly and meet, you know, again, where the demand is there, right? So they already had the supply side of it figured out. So that to me is really interesting. I think on, on AI, you know, AI is really just taking analytics and putting it, you know, much more into automated action and instrumenting and coding and beyond that. So the, the thing that's fascinating there is, to your point of, how do companies put that into action again, small, medium, and large, and what they can, what it can do for them as a as a business, um, whether or not that's a, a great example and is manufacturing, and it doesn't matter again if you're making uh, cruise ships, which probably are some of the most complicated things in the world, right? Versus I'm I'm, I'm manufacturing the the um, the piece of metal that holds together five things, the 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 technology that's there and being able to use computer vision as an example in the manufacturing process to detect, is there an abnormality? Is there a malfunction or something that will lead, you know, that, that you'll, you can meet up, up, upstream and the creation as opposed to downstream and the maintain and the maintenance or in the warranty period, that, that type of capability. So whether or not it's computer vision, and detecting it, or if it's through you know some natural language processing, for instance, in, in customer service, you can be a small business and apply these technologies and suddenly operate at enterprise scale. And again, kind of back to our conversation on how you take experiments and turn them into scale, that, that is a big part of what I think some companies struggle with in trying to figure out how do I move these beyond just you know the, the, the experiments of the world. Um, AI is fascinating. I, I think that I was on a panel about a month ago uh, for North Carolina Technology. It's a um, it's a local uh, statewide firm that, that does a lot to help promote uh, startups and SMBs, any technology across the across uh, North Carolina. And on that panel, we talked a lot about AI and the future of AI and the fact that AI is kind of we're, we're just now starting to meet the promises of what AI was in, back in the 70s and 60s when it started coming up and people started dreaming about all these different things. And now as we start to put more and more of those into reality, the fun thing is, is people don't even realize like how much of it is under the hood in your day-to-day actions. You, you don't even realize it's there, it's around you, it's participating uh, in the world and you don't, it improves your life without you even really even even realizing it. And so I think as small businesses and medium businesses, as we move into that and we embrace that, um, I think it'll actually give us more competitive advantage. Uh, it gives us the ability to operate at scale that it, that that we would have in you know 15, 20 years ago looked at and been envious of the enterprise. And now we say, no, no, we can compete. That barrier to entry is now much lower. You mentioned uh, digital transformation earlier and and I'm guessing that digital transformation pre-COVID 
had a different definition or a different focus than it probably has after COVID. But there were a lot of companies, particularly kind of on the SMB side, I think they got digital transformation. Maybe they thought they were doing digital transformation. It was really more digital transition, meaning they wanted to take processes that were manual and use technology to automate that same process. They weren't really trying to change anything. They were just trying to be more efficient with what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But, and I'm sure there, there's a need for that as well. But when you think of real digital transformation, uh, what is it going to take? What kind of mindset, what kind of maybe, you know, focus is it going to take for a small business to see the benefit of transformation versus just kind of trying to figure out how can we make the things that we've always done easier to do or more efficient to do? Yeah, I, um, that's a great one because I think that some of the the challenges for to to transform, you have to start with some of the fundamentals, right? Like I was saying before, your kind of your digital maturity model has to evolve and get you to a point where you're actually you're qualified to transform, if you will. And some of that does start rent through optimization. Like, how do I optimize what I have? How do I how do I digitally enable those processes? Um, and I think along the way. If you constantly are curious and you ask those questions, why you see moments where you can drive more transformation than not. I think mid, you know, uh, mid-sized companies probably fall into this case where you had a process, you were doing it for a very specific part of the business. Perhaps you were successful with it, but as you digitally enabled it and you started bringing technology to bear, you realized there were areas that you could transform how you were doing it and maybe give you optimization and, and workforce costs or maybe time to time to market or time to value for your products. That Those are the places where I think you get a lot more transformational activities that just happen naturally. So again, back to my point, they don't all have to be the, the Uber moment, right? I mean, I think most companies aren't gonna see that in their lifetime, but there are plenty of places along the way where you can take advantage of those and help drive transformation. I think, um, analytics and, and transformation go hand in hand, right? I mean, analytics give you, gives you the insight to figure out, you know, what you could do, what, what you could change. And then, like I said, along the way, it gives you the opportunity to test it with very limited risk of what would happen if I did this, if I pivot into that, if I use this data in this way instead of that way, how much more yield could I get if I did this versus that? And then how do I interpret more data to make a better decision around it? So it gives me confidence to, to, you know, to kind of make that leap from. Love some of the comments we're getting on AI and, and SMBs. Uh, it's a good stuff. Make sure, uh, check out the comment stream uh, when you see the, the re, uh, broadcast of this, because there's a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, let me throw one up there. Now, this is probably beyond the, the typical SMB kind of area, but my buddy, Bob Fagel, I usually don't take questions from Bob because he's a notorious Boston sports fan, which I tend to not get along with those folks too much. But I, I do want to ask this question or add, let you answer his question. Data Lake or not, where should the data architecture go from here? So I, I'm a Carolina fan and the Celtics are carrying an abnormally large number of basketball players right now. I, I don't think I can answer his question either. <laughs> No, seriously. Uh, look, data is coming at us in different ways, some structured, some unstructured. There are some really nice 
uh, cost-effective ways to store your data in the cloud now. Data lakes are, are a wonderful way to do that. I think a lot of it depends on the use case and how fast that data set that you're going to manage is going to grow. Um, dumping it into a place that might be, again, somewhat unstructured is, you know, I think is a very viable model. We see a lot of it. Honestly, I'd, I'd kind of put a number on it. I'd be willing to bet that 30 to 40 percent of our installs these days have some form of a data lake structure to them. They're not all going to come out of, you know, like a, an enterprise data warehouse. In fact, in most cases, I think a lot of the warehouse the technology and things, somebody's already taken time to take a look at the data, transform it and translate it, put it into something that you can then you know, take action on. The more um, transformational activities that we see come out of, you know, really large unstructured data that we can go in and, and glean good insights from. Very nice. See, Bob, I, I, I did let your question slide in there. So it's just. And it pains me to answer it, Bob. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, here he goes. There, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about data privacy. There's a lot of data. We just talked about all this data is coming from everywhere. It's yeah. coming from, ex it's growing exponentially. It provides the opportunity. I, I think it really does provide a great opportunity for companies who are able to use it effectively to create more meaningful interactions with customers and prospects, better uh, products and services. Generally speaking, it could be a really good thing, a, a really good competitive advantage. But that's only if, they, if it's used the way that customers really want you to use it. Talk about how do, how do companies who are getting down the way with using data and analytics, how can they make sure that the data is used the right way and doesn't get away from them and then somehow can be used against the customers that they're servicing. Yeah, there's two parts to that in my mind. I think, first of all, it's the security of the data. Um, you know, we talked about trust earlier on in the conversation and, you know, trust is earned. It takes a long time to earn it, but man, you can lose it in a, in a, in a blink of an eye if you have a security event. And unfortunately, that's that's the risk. That's the world we live in in the digital age. Right. So we always have to constantly look at what are our security models? What tools are we bringing to bear that gives us insight into that? And, you know, are we doing the best job that we can to protect our customers, their data and obviously our interactions with that data? Right. I think, um, you know, the SolarWinds event fairly recently is, is kind of shaking everybody again we have these events in the security landscape you know on a periodic basis and they they show up in crazy and meaningful ways you know i don't think anybody would have ever guessed that in the solar winds case that somebody could have not only uh, gained that level of access but disrupted the creation of software and embedded something malicious in and then allowed that software vendor to distribute it unknowingly to their customers I mean, that's a brand new threat, a brand new landscape. And that's something that, again, everybody who's in security has to constantly sit there and think about what's coming next. And then there's plenty of people and we, we're, we're of this belief, like we always assume that, hey, there's something in that there's something in our environment already. So how do we make sure that we've limited that blast radius, as my uh, chief information security officer likes to tell me? And then how do we ensure that we've got enough insight into making the correlation of any type of event or that, that uh, uh, you know, might occur in our enterprise. So that that's definitely something that, that everybody has to have. I kind of look at that a little bit as table stakes to even be in the game. You've got to always have that around you um, and you've got to you know, spare no expense when you're when you're going after that. 
I think the second part of your question gets into you've secured the data, you're using the data, you're building models. Now what? Like how do you in, how do you ensure that your users um, who may be using that data and interpreting it, or those that that offered the data to you, how do you ensure that you have their trust in how you use it? And we talk a little bit about you know um, uh, the, the the responsibility that we all have uh, when with uh, ethical AI as an example, and making sure that we don't put any of our biases into models, uh, you know, unintentionally. And that's a big topic these days. So obviously, we have a lot going on in the society and the world around us that helps us always frame and shape and think about things that we do. But it, it also comes forward in the work products that we all deliver, right? And and again. If you think about the art of creation of, of, of models and also putting those into motion with, with AI, you know, that that risk is there. And again, as I was saying before, analytics and AI, incredibly powerful tools, but they come with a lot of responsibility. And so that is absolutely something that we think about. You'll see SAS out there speaking uh, on behalf of the industry of how we ensure that there's, um, you know, that, that there's safety and how this, these products are delivered, how and creatively can we come as an industry to validate models and sure there's no bias in them and that that's done in a way that, again, all of us would expect uh, to be correct. But yeah, it's a, it's a big topic. Very big and, and too big for us to cover all <laughs> in one conversation. But this has been a great conversation, uh, Jay. And last thing I would like to, to kind of ask you before we, we head on out is, you're a CIO of a company like SAS. It's all about data and analytics and, and platforms. But how is your job? How, how do you, the view of your job changed from the beginning of this pandemic until now? Um, that's a good one. Uh, I, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a passionate guy when it comes to um, leadership and traits of good leaders. And I think that the, the pandemic um, has reminded good leaders of what good leader characteristics are. And that is, you know, valuing your employees, valuing their mental state, make, ensuring that they have life work balance, that it's not always the business result at the end of the day that def defines you as a leader. Um, and so we spent a lot of time uh, as a leadership team at SAS, but then definitely as, as my, my team within CIS, which is our cloud information services division that I run, um, focused in on the employee and making sure that, again, everybody got home safe. Everybody is doing well. Everybody is adjusting to the emotional roller coaster that has been this pandemic. Um, one of the things that we found early was you know, are we communicating enough? Is it clear? Is it transparent? And are we are we giving our our staff permission to walk away from their home offices? I mean, that's a really difficult thing. Um, you know, we found that the lines between life and work blurred dramatically when you suddenly work from a, a corner of your house. And so we tried to have fun with it. We tried to, you know, in, embrace it. We try to encourage, you know, those awkward moments of your child walking across the, the screen behind you or whatnot and have fun with it to embrace them. That make sure people understand that, like, guys, you know, life and work, um, you know, they should go hand in hand. They should be fun. But you don't have to, you know, you don't have to feel pressure for one for the other. And so I, I think for me, it was a really good reminder of a personal belief that I've had my whole life. 
And, and I, I've, I've been encouraged to watch and see other people kind of react to it and embrace it and run with it. I also think it helps validate things. Like for instance, one of the things that we did in our um, IT division was we created an entire organization in the division focused in on empowering the employee at SAS. And so SAS 44 years ago was founded on the belief that the biggest asset that we have is our employee. And we put that into play in terms of the culture that we created, the, the environment that we gave people to work in, and then obviously the benefits that we gave to our employees. And I wanted to take it a step further and put it into the, the digital enablement that we do for our employees so we can create that opportunity for them to innovate that and give them freedom to be creative, let them not worry about the technology that they use and instead focus in on their passion, which is data and analytics. So I think that, again, the, the pandemic and what's happened here has helped us you know, reinforce the value of that service that we deliver. And what I've found is I've talked to others about an industry. If you weren't there, you're probably catching up to get there. And if you were there, you're reaping the benefit of having done so. And I think that's true with some of the transformation questions, Brent, that you asked me too. So that's that's probably the biggest thing that has changed for me. Um, I think we were in a unique position to already value data and the value that data and that brings, you know, in terms of insights and how to put those into action for businesses. Um, I think the the other thing that's fascinating that I continue to learn and as I listen and talk to customers and others in the industry is. The problems that they're trying to solve now, they're just different. I mean, they were coming at us already in a variety of different ways and from different um, industries anyway. Now they're just coming at us a lot more, uh, a lot more rapid and they're coming at us in a lot more different forms. So we're not seeing the same thing five different times around the world. We're seeing, you know, a lot of different ones popping up. And that's exciting because people are starting to be more creative. They're recognizing the value of the data. They're recognizing the value that interpretation of the data can bring their business and they're wanting to put those into action. That was an awesome answer, man. Matter of fact, I just got to throw a couple of these comments up here because it's it actually pretty cool to see this. Uh, so uh, I love what Bob says. Does that mean, does that also go along with people from New England? And then before either you or I could respond, there it is from David. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, that was great. And, and once again, Jay, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, definitely, uh, we're going to have to do this again sometime because we didn't even touch on, you know, when we were on opposite sides of the Georgetown UNC 1982 National Championship game and where I, I came up a bit short. But yeah, we will hug that out after the pandemic. <laughs> Sounds, Sounds good, good, man. All right. Thanks again. And thank you all for checking us out. And I'll be back uh, Thursday with CRM players and we're going to, you know, have Bob probably call and do something stupid too. anyway. Thanks again. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me.